0: And welcome to Signals from the Hill. On today's show we'll be talking to George Weilersole all about his life and work. But first up, it's the latest in our store spotlight. And today we're looking at Family Store, which is an independent shop based in the North Lanes in Brighton. They have a fantastic collection of comics and zines from the likes of Cush, Breakdown Press, Centralla, and of course Avery Hill. They also have a wonderful selection of pins, patches and prints, as well as a lovely range of clothes that I am far, far too old to ever consider wearing. Their full address is thirty-three Kensington Gardens, Brighton, BN1 4AL, and you can find them on Twitter at Family Store UK, and they also have a page on Facebook that you can like and follow to get all the latest updates on the shop. A quick news roundup now: our first twenty eighteen title is available to pre-order, and it's Luke Healy's Permanent Press. This is being launched at the Dublin Comic Art Festival, which we're actually a sponsor of on the 21st of April but you can also pre-order it in our shop which you can find at averyhillpublishing.com and if you do that you'll get yourself a, a special bookplate edition signed by Luke himself the bookplate editions are also available at Forbidden Planet on Shaftesbury Avenue some new prints available in our imprint store including work from Rachel Smith Julia Shaler and Kat Chapman go to imprint.com that's inprnt.com to see the full selection Our special offer for March is 25% off any Stephen Tillotson title in our shop. That includes his acclaimed graphic novel, Untitled Ape's Epic Adventure, plus the hilarious Manly Boys and Company Girls annuals. Pop any of those into your basket and use the code TILLOTSALE at checkout to get your discount. Also, Rachel Smith is doing some really great value comic bundles on her own web shop. If you go to etsy.com forward slash UK forward slash shop, forward slash flimsy kitten f-l-i-m-s-y-k-i-t-t-e-n you can pick up bundles including the rabbit and artificial flowers as well as other titles like house party and wired up wrong Rachel's work was recently discussed on episode 832 of comic news insider and you can find a link to that on jimmyaquino.typebad.com that's j-i-m-m-y a-q-u-i-n-o dot t-y-p-e pa A couple of nice recent features on Broken Frontier, including an interview with the team at Avery Hill Publishing, all about our recent work and the plans for this year, and a preview of an upcoming Avery Hill book, Follow Me In, with an interview with Kat Chapman at Broken Frontier as well. You'll find both of those and loads of other great features at brokenfrontier.com. And now, let's talk to George Wylasol, whose book, Ghosts Etc., you can also find in our web store at averyhillpublishing.com. Hi, George. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Have comics always been a big part of your life and
1: creative work? I didn't get into comics until I I went to grad school, which was like uh, I was like 26 or something at that time.
0: So nothing when you were a kid?
1: <laughs> no, they were like comics were just not big. I guess in my like in my circle or my environment, they just kind of didn't exist. Uh, at least around me, I think by that time they were like definitely almost dead in America. Like the mid nineties, right? Yeah, shops are closing left,
0: right, and center. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right,
1: Um I didn't like I had never even like held one or even knew what it was. Like I, you know, I <laughs> I watched like cartoons and stuff, but I I, I never like uh, read comics as a little kid.
0: That's really interesting because, you know, something we'll talk about later. But I think that reflects very positively in your work in that you don't seem sort of beholden to ideas about comics that can sort of get into your head as a kid or even as a teenager. The fact that you was it 26, you said you, 27?
1: I was about 20, 26, I think. And do you remember what that was or what sort of thing it was? My program at MICA Illustration Practice, we had a table at MoCA Fest in in New York, and we did like a departmental zine just to kind of promote the the program or whatever. Everyone did a one-page comic, so I just did this one-page comic for it, and I was like, oh, okay, this is is cool, I can do this. So so that kind of started it.
0: And did you get to go to MoCA yourself for that?
1: Yeah, I did. I, I went up there uh, for the past couple of years. It's always a good time. Always uh, really a lot of people and stuff to talk to.
0: So that's quite, a, I think, quite a sort of heady introduction to comics to sort of go from just being, yeah. <laughs> it not being part of your life. And you're like, it's some incredible stuff <laughs> around it's like me. the whole is-
1: world just opened up, uh, you know, because I, I saw them in undergrad and stuff. People were doing them in undergrad and I, and I wasn't like interested. And I did some zines and stuff in undergrad. So I was always like halfway there. And then, you know, uh, it wasn't until grad school that I actually like started working with like the panel format of, of storytelling.
0: But of course, a stronger part of your artistic background is sort of illustration, essentially, isn't it? Which is is interesting, I think, because obviously there, I think even with, you know, single panel spot illustration for articles or or covers or whatever, there's still a a narrative element, isn't there? You always look like trying to tell a story, so to speak.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a big, you know, I I went to undergrad and grad school for illustration and um that's a huge part of it is especially like it for editorial markets it's just like how can you convey this this story or narrative in just one one image. So I think it's kind of a natural like uh you know, they go together very well illustration uh, illustration and comics for sure.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's good training, isn't it? Because you're sort of you're learning how to get the images to do a lot of heavy lifting and
1: sort of load them with with meaning. Right. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So just to rewind then Um, you're from Philadelphia
1: originally. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Philly. Um, I went to school there and then I moved down to Baltimore for for grad school. At school,
0: at what point were you looking at sort of taking an interest in art and and doing sort of art-focused courses?
1: I guess high school, like the beginning of high school. I was into like graffiti and stuff when I was very young. And then when I got into high school, I was like, oh, let's try to like, you know, actually learn how to draw for real. So I started taking classes at high school and they had the Academy of Fine Arts was down the block. They gave out free um, classes after school for painting and drawing. So I went there um, and learned how to paint.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. What, what a, a brilliant opportunity.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. It definitely like kind of kind of changed my life because like, you know, high school art was great. But um, at PAFA is when I really learned like how to paint and like about color and, and all that kind of really technical stuff.
0: And I'm assuming the uh, the Academy of Fine Arts is essentially a, a level above high school, isn't it? So immediately you're, you're being fast tracked into the next stage of your education.
1: Yeah, it's like a full a regular art college. I think it's actually the oldest art college in, the, in America, but they're very fine art. Like they're very heavily based on like painting and drawing and stuff like that, which was really great to learn as like a teenager to get those fundamentals down.
0: And access to tutors and just people that are going to be very informed and very focused on developing you and helping you to learn about new ideas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I still like to this day have like some of the like the the lessons that I learned there in my in my mind as I'm picking colors or, or doing a drawing or something.
0: And then, as you say, you you move over to Baltimore purely for education at the time. Yeah, for grad school. Your course at grad school is illustration again.
1: Yeah, uh, illustration practice at uh, Maryland Institute College of Art. You're teaching illustration now as well? Yeah, I'm teaching at uh, Towson University, uh, which is a state school just outside of Baltimore. And I'm still working at the hospital as well during the day, fixing TVs.
0: We'll get to that later on for sure. (laughs) In terms of uh, teaching, I think this is, you know, quite interesting from my point of view. Do you find that informs your practice as well? Just being obviously exposed to a lot of different viewpoints and ideas and also just having to almost stay ahead of the game in terms of the fact that you're you're guiding people as much as you're producing things.
1: Teaching definitely, definitely informs my practice. Sometimes, sometimes it's like I, I don't know something until it comes out of my mouth in the classroom, and then I'm like, oh, I I know how to do this or whatever. And also, there, it's a matter of like furthering my technical skills, um, so I have something to to pass on to my students, and and also keeping up with just the industry in general, who's doing what, like what can I show my students and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I've never been to Philadelphia or, or Baltimore and have no idea about the sort of for want of a better word, art scene of either city. Can you Mm -hmm. give us any idea about that? Like, is there, is it vibrant? Is it something that you feel engaged with in either place?
1: Yeah, I I feel in both cities, it's really vibrant. I, I'm, I'm, I'm weirdly kind of more, more in the Baltimore scene than the Philly scene. I think Baltimore is really great because it's, a, it's a much smaller city and there's like a much tighter group of creatives here. I think there's also a lot of like institutional and, and kind of government funding or support for the arts, uh, in general. Philly is, Philly is much bigger and, um, they have a, they have a good scene as well, but it, it's very spread out. And a lot of times it doesn't feel as like. Tight-knit, maybe, as Baltimore. Uh, but they have a ton of, of good galleries and, and amazing artists that work there as well. And in
0: terms of the comic scene specifically, you, you've mentioned going to Mocha. Have you done other shows in
1: the States? I did Mocha. I did SBX with Avery Hill last year. Or at least I, I went to it. Um, <laughs> you didn't do your shift uh, on the table? I did. I, I was at <laughs> the table, uh, but I didn't have my own table. Right, uh, right. And I we did uh, – Locust Moon up in Philly and West Philly. Oh, right. Yeah, and I think I've had I've had stuff in, at tables that I physically wasn't at. Uh, we did with the with my grad school department. We did a DC Art Book Fair, which was really good.
0: In terms of current comics creators, is there anyone you particularly whose work you particularly enjoy?
1: Um, yeah, like I said, I'm not super tuned into the comics world. I still don't really know that much about it. But I really like some of like the the kind of greats like uh, Chris Ware. I really like Adrian. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. Tomine or Tomine. I've always gone for
0: Tomine. I, I think I heard Tomine on another podcast and I've always yeah. stuck with that.
1: Yeah, he's he's awesome. He definitely kind of informed my work. Patrick Kyle, I uh, really like how kind of abstract and, and nonlinear his stuff is. Yeah, off the top of my head, I, I think those three are kind of my my most read, at least.
0: And I think uh, just having looked over your work, I can sort of see how tonally in terms of just the feel of your, of your work as much as anything else. I can definitely see a, a correspondence with uh, with those people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I try not to like copy too much or anything, but I'm definitely definitely influenced for sure.
0: So in terms of the work that you produce, I'm, I'm fascinated by the actual the process you go through because you have a very particular look and feel to your work. Um, yeah, which is, a, 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 you know, uh, I think if we get you to describe the process, that will give people uh, an idea of the the visuals.
1: Yeah, my my process is like totally backwards. I would never <laughs> like like recommend it to anybody or or encourage anyone to work in this way. But I um. Can I just um, ju- jump in and say
0: every creator I've ever spoke to about their work always insists that they're doing it wrong and that no one should do it the way they do it. And yet they're all making brilliant stuff. So it's, it's a weird conundrum.
1: <laughs> it works. But, it works. Yeah. It's like uh, it, it's definitely it's definitely I feel like kind of different or, or I don't want to say like unique or whatever, but it, it's definitely like I, I haven't seen anyone really doing it. I draw everything in Illustrator really tightly um, and color it all in Illustrator as well. And then I print. I print out the whole image on a, on my laser printer, just like my regular laser printer, and then I scan it back in, and I take it into Photoshop, and I uh, I do a lot of stuff to it in Photoshop. Like I'll like I'll bitmap the image and overlay it onto itself, and I'll use like really weird textures, like uh, you know scans pieces of plastic and stuff that I'll really bump up the contrast really bad on, and um, <laughs> just kind of overlay a ton of texture and i overlay the image onto itself like three or four times just kind of have fun with it and make it messy
0: and the line works very sort of geometric isn't it very sort of angular
1: right right exactly right. and that and that definitely comes from um from illustrator because everything in there is so perfect that i feel like i have to kind of mess it up a little bit right at the end. right yeah, it's
0: interesting you're doing a laser printer because with the finished thing it, it feels like your intention is to make it look like it was done on an inject printer but one that hasn't been sort of maintained properly for about 15 years. So you're getting yeah, just these incredible yeah. blotches and lines and
1: I really like like uh like printing errors and stuff and a lot of times I'll like scan in printing errors and, and misprints and stuff and kind of overlay that on there cuz I, I, I there's something really interesting to me at least when when something isn't like perfect or um uh it's hard to kind of put it into words but um just the kind of like everydayness of of like uh I don't know, an instruction manual or something that's not really printed beautifully. I, I'm really drawn to that kind of thing.
0: And I think in terms of the, the content as well, that's something that comes across where you, it feels almost deliberately remove people as characters from the piece and like, have objects and very sort of mundane everyday items, but then the work itself sort of imbues them with, with meaning and power.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something I do uh, intentionally as well. I, I hate drawing people. It's just very stressful to me. I, I don't feel like my figures are, are that are that good. Um, so I just try like everything in my power to not have to draw people. Um, <laughs> but I'm really like in life, I'm really interested in like objects and, and stuff kind of. So um, that comes through as well. And I kind of give personalities, I feel like uh, to objects and stuff in my drawings in place of of people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the objects themselves, the, the choices you make there seem quite interesting. Like you've talked about how you're using a very firm digital process. Right. But it definitely seems to invoke an analog age. There's, you know, push button phones and, you know, very sort of mechanical o- o- objects that sort of have more personality than the, the, the cleaner items that we deal with now.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't know uh, why exactly that is, but I definitely like, I, I'm definitely drawn to like kind of older stuff. I don't know if it was just because I I grew up in in that time or, or what, but I feel like that kind of stuff has a lot more personality to it. Whereas if I drew like an iPhone instead of like a push button phone, it wouldn't really say anything. It's just kind of like a black rectangle. You know, it's not really interesting visually or kind of emotionally to me. Maybe it's just like a nostalgia thing.
0: Yeah, it feels like nostalgia is, is again an element to to your work, you know, it, evoking said bygone ages. If it's like you know ancient history, where we're really really we're talking like twenty years ago, but um yeah, I say it definitely I think gives the the, the work power. In terms of um, inspiration as well, I uh, read an interview you did where you talked about this idea that you had, which sounds fascinating to me, where you're basically scouring abandoned geocities sites to find, you know, old photos and amateur artwork and just sort of odd little objects that you can then reproduce.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or at least when I have time, I found uh, I over the past few years, I found a couple like different blogs that that scour like old Craigslist or old um, photo bucket accounts and like repost specific images that were that are not artistic at all. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, an everyday person takes a picture of their room and puts it on Craigslist. But then there's something kind of poetic about that image out of context. So I follow a lot of blogs that like do do that kind of thing. And I kind of wanted to do my my own thing like that. There's a there's a website called uh well it's called like the Wayback Machine and it basically oh, well, takes, that. Yeah, yeah. takes a snapshot of a bunch of web pages all the time it's just like constantly running and archives them so i've been like kind of scouring geocities through the wayback machine just taking some of the images off there uh i I took a bunch of like like i guess like amateur art which is really really interesting to me and also like uh i found like a bunch of poetry on there and different just like web design elements like like homepage icons loading icons and stuff like that I i don't know why it's just like kind of a compulsive uh need to save that stuff yeah,
0: I find that really fascinating. I love the idea of this, you know, work that people have uh, abandoned and would probably be embarrassed if they were confronted with it now and, and told right. that someone was looking through it. But there's still an energy to it that you can then transmute into something that works for you. So there's still power to that work that they see nothing but embarrassment from
1: and it kind of brings up a weird thing about like copyright and stuff like that but i don't know i'm not like making any money off of it or anything so i'm just kind of saving it i haven't really published anything but i have a big folder of it on my on my desktop
0: I mean, I think it would be incredible if someone brought a lawsuit based on the work that you found. (laughs) I I mean, that would be worth it. It'd be worth getting sued for, wouldn't it? The the news would be all over that. And and just to go back to something I said in passing earlier, I do think we were talking about contextualising these things. As I said at the start, you know, I think you can see through your work that you're not beholden to... A history of comics, an idea of comics, or what comics should be, but there is absolutely a sequential aspect to what you do, and there is absolutely, obviously, narrative and, and character and story. Do you, do you, how important is it you in in terms of the juxtaposition of things that rather than thinking about things sequentially, just sort of in terms of placement. I guess that that speaks to your background in illustration design as well.
1: When I, when I started college, undergrad, I started writing a lot, and I, I always kind of kept like a separate writing practice, and then it, it wasn't until grad school that I was like, oh, I can combine the two and make comics, and they don't have to be like superhero comics or whatever uh, like that, but I'm also very interested, and so so I can, you know, I can do whatever I want with comics sequentially and and, and use them to, to go with my writing, and that's all fine, but I also... Um, there's like a new kind of subgenre of, of comics where it's like nothing is sequential at all. And it's just kind of the, the panel breaks as as like a medium, basically, uh, that I'm also very interested in just visually of having like different images next to each other, not necessarily representing a, lim- a linear narrative, but the kind of page as a whole has something to say. So I've kind of been working like that as well. It's kind of like a, an abstracted form of the traditional narrative comic.
0: With your with your pages as pages as well as sort of individual images, there's definitely right. an impressionistic feel to it that does evoke something beyond you know mm-hmm. these six or eight images that are, are placed on the page. There's certainly a combined power that comes from how they're placed and and what they're doing in, in concert with one another. Just to um, narrow in a, a little closer on um, some of your work, I guess a good place to start would be the work that won you a silver medal from the Society of Illustrators, which sounds uh-huh. brilliant.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so that was that was for Vinyl Moon. They do a it's like a record of the month club, but the record is like a mix. It's not just one artist, one album. And they have a big emphasis on the artwork. And Brandon, who's the art director there, got in touch with me to do one of their one of their issues. Um, And I was kind of thrilled with it because that had always been like a dream project for me is to be able to design and execute the whole the whole package of of the record from the from the record itself to the to the gatefold and the inserts and all that. So he he wanted something kind of comics based, uh, so I did these I treated the gatefolds itself as like four panels and then I did a big newspaper comic that's inside in one color that kind of complements the the gatefold imagery.
0: Yeah, I don't know much about sort of album design specifically, but I I guess it was quite uncommon for someone to have that amount of control over essentially every inch of the printed material.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I I kept I kept like checking with him like, uh, so what do you want to do here? And he's like, it's up to you, man. Like you you do everything. (laughs) I'm like, awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, it was it was a great project. Um, I got to pick like the, the color of the record and the do the labels and just kind of do everything. And it was and it was actually really awesome. Uh, I would love to do another job like that at some, at some time. And quite
0: a, a crass follow up question. Do you literally get a silver medal from the Society of Illustrators? Uh,
1: I got like a like a trophy. I don't think it's made out of silver, but it's like a it's like a trophy. It's on my shelf.
0: It's interesting because just the the name Society of Illustrators sounds like quite a sort of fusty, traditional institution. I have no idea what their sort of history and background is. But I mean, if they're rewarding interesting work, it must be quite an interesting place. Was there a ceremony or anything?
1: Yeah, uh, they're, they're actually really old. I I don't know their full history. I think they go back to at least the 1920s. But it could be it could be much older than that. They're based right like two blocks east of Central Park in, in New York. And I, they have their own like space there. And I, they've been around forever. And yeah, they have like a, I guess like a ceremony, like they give out the medals and everyone kind of makes a, a little speech. And then there's like a party after with with booze and stuff. And they have like, a gallery space there where they hang all the uh all the like the accepted work into the annual and then the annual is like a book that that goes out to art directors and stuff and it's supposed to catalog like the best of uh you know illustration of that year
0: so it's a sort of uh you know a, a good spot to be in in terms of uh your career as well getting commissions yeah yeah way. absolutely yeah.
1: Uh, i was totally taken aback by that cuz i was cuz i had a, like applied to get into it into the annual every year since like my sophomore year in college in like 2010 and I never heard anything back from them and then this was the first year I got in and uh I got the medal I was like in disbelief <laughs> that's great what a debut yeah, thank you I always talk about your work
0: for and I'm going to try the pronunciation do feel free to correct me if I'm wrong or if it's a, a, an acronym Oogst, the Belgian art magazine
1: yeah I, I don't know I don't know how to pronounce it either uh but it's it <laughs> <laughs> I always I always was saying oops but I yeah I definitely could be wrong. Yeah, they they're a, they're an art magazine based in in Belgium and that was another one where they were like we have 13 images we need we need for this uh for this magazine. You can just do them all and I was like, "All right, definitely." And they and they didn't like do really any art direction or anything like that. I didn't have to do any like preliminary sketches or anything. I just kind of did did whatever I wanted based on the articles, which was which was always good. I always feel like that's kind of where the strongest work comes out of me, at least.
0: Yeah, it's your personal response to the piece, isn't right, it, rather than right, being exactly. filtered through someone else's vision or anything, yeah. Exactly. But the thing that's me about that was the fact that, you know, it's a Belgian art magazine, but obviously, you know, with your the, the visual aspects of your work, and comics in general, but I think particularly your work, there is a thing where it's universal, isn't it? Like, you know, there is a, a thing where... images that you are using to describe these things are going to be or have a spark of recognition for anyone?
1: I kind of try to curate the the images I use very um, intentionally to kind of to exactly like kind of spark that that instance of, of recognition. And even I mean, you could get kind of hyper specific and still kind of have that recognition. So I on the back cover of that magazine, there's one panel where it's like a like a sign for convenience store. Um but that convenience store is only located in like northeastern America. Right, uh, right. So no one no one in Belgium would have ever heard of it. But I, I still think like that visual of like the sign with the clouds is kind of universally recognized as like some sort of suburban ish convenience store.
0: It is that thing we talked about earlier where, you know, contextualizing things. You know, you don't necessarily have to do it in an explicit way, just sort of giving people the idea is enough to, to prompt them to fill in
1: the gaps. Right, exactly. That's exactly what I'm what I'm aiming for.
0: And just to bring things up to some of your current work, I Think I'm in Trouble is your weekly webcomic?
1: Yes, which I'm currently behind on. But yeah, every every Sunday I, I post one on Instagram of that.
0: And that's fantastic. And obviously it's on Instagram. It's, you know, instantly accessible and and free for people to have a have a look through immediately so get get involved with that i would say i'd also recommend to people to just go to your website you've got great excerpts from not only your your comics work and things like i think i'm in trouble but your illustration work and other pieces that you've you've done what is your website
1: address it's just www.wilasol.com w-y-l-e-s-o-l
0: a rich trove of images to be uh, found and, and picked through there and just to contextualize things for Avery Hill and our, our Avery Hill-related listeners, how did you get in touch with Avery Hill?
1: I'm not sure, actually. I, I think Ricky just emailed me out of the blue and was just, just said, hey, uh, we like your work. If you'd ever want to pitch something to us, we're, we're definitely interested. And I was like, okay, awesome. So I pitched him two comics that I did for my graduate thesis, Um, And then he said, let's kind of make a like an anthology or like a collection. And then I I made the I pitched like the third one, which was Ghosts, which I didn't do in grad school. Um, And I created just for for that book. And then we just went from there.
0: Yeah, it's a tremendous uh, selection of work, all very distinct in terms of tone, and look, but definitely, you know, of a piece of, of you as a creator, I would say. Just to let give people a bit of an idea, how how would you summarize Ghosts as a as a piece? What's the sort of the, the general idea of it?
1: It's about a a nameless speaker who who works in a hospital by himself at night, and he he's kind of lonely and, and gets kind of paranoid because he's just kind of works in this like endless maze of tunnels. His job is to just plug in wires, and then he starts kind of seeing stuff out of the corner of his eye, and um. The anxiety of that lonely paranoia kind of overtakes him and he uh, he kind of passes out and then wakes back up in his office.
0: Just to give people a bit of an idea about your background, as well, something we mentioned earlier. You work in a hospital. I do. It's very
1: it's very. <laughs> do you, do you <laughs> work at
0: night fun. in a tunnel? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I've, I've been working in a hospital for for 10 years now and it's I mostly work by myself oftentimes at night or on weekends And hospitals are just creepy. And a lot of times I (laughs) I work in, you know, the basements and stuff where it's just like endless tunnels and and background noise and stuff. And it's always just kind of a a little unsettling. So I I strongly base that off of kind of personal experiences.
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic trip. I mean, the the thing that really uh, the thing I had reading it, which is it's really hard to sort of describe as a sensation, but it felt echoey like a deserted hospital at night. Does that make sense? Yeah, as absolutely. I was reading the words, as I'm looking at the images, I'm, I'm getting this feeling of space around me that's sort of open and black and endless, but also incredibly claustrophobic. It was, um, yeah, it's um, a fantastic piece.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate that. That's exactly
0: what I was going for. Oh, success, full success. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so that's the piece that you um, put together for the book specifically. And then the other right. two are your, your graduate pieces. The, the first one or the next one up in the book is is The Rabbit.
1: That was I did that. So uh, I did a graduate thesis at Micah called The Book of Trash, which was a collection of I think I ended up with like 10 or 11 like zines and comics uh, over the over the course of the year. And I was really experimenting with the collection as a whole um, in terms of like uh, ma- using materials that were not necessarily considered like nice. Um, I used like a lot of construction paper and newsprint for my you know, original zines. Um, I did a lot of uh, I was inspired by a lot of design that is traditionally like not not good design, like the opposite, like kind of pedestrian, naive graphic design and stuff like that. So I, I made that original comic, The Rabbit. Uh, I printed it on newsprint and I tried to use like really intense saturated colors to mimic like a uh, like an old children's book or an old like coloring book that had been colored in with like uh, really intense markers uh, or stuff like that. So that was kind of the inspiration for it. And then the narrative is about this creature that has, you know, this responsibility to take care of uh, this younger creature, the, the rabbit, but his kind of like neglect Leads to the rabbit getting hit by a car and dying, and then he kind of has to leave the forest. Uh, It's very kind of abstract, it's kind of hard to, like, describe.
0: And you managed to work around the human figure in that by making the protagonist a masked blob, essentially. Yeah. (laughs) But it works perfectly for for the piece again, so...
1: When I started doing it, I... I, uh... I I drew I was drawing like actual people and it just it didn't read right and I like started messing around with this blob and I was like no nah, there's no way I can just use this blob and then <laughs> my studio mates were like no oh, you absolutely can and I was like okay thank you and I just and, I, and that <laughs> I just did it yeah and uh, Worthless is the final piece in the book yeah so that that started as like like finals of my first semester of my second year there. Uh, It was just really intense. I had like my thesis to do and I had a bunch of other assignments to do. Um, So I started Worthless as kind of like just like a stress relief thing um, that I was doing like in my free time. And I was just trying to make it like as kind of psychedelic and nonlinear and um, follow a stream of conscious uh, narrative as much as I could without um, having trying not to make anything make sense or anything like that. I just wanted to be like very kind of psychedelic, overwhelming, kind of trippy.
0: It's interesting that you you talk about that as being a sort of, you know, a a stress relief project, something for you to go to to sort of, you know, release the anxieties from your work. And yet it's so so dense visually. It's, it's, you know, by no means is it sort of light work uh, in terms of you having to put it together.
1: Yeah, no, it wasn't like um, relaxing. I mean, it was it was relaxing in that I didn't have to plan it out or like run it past but any, any critics or anything like that. I was just kind of doing it without any narrative or, or any thought and that just kind of having fun with it and seeing what came out uh, at the ends. And then about about halfway through, I um I kind of had to tweak it a little bit to make it make sense. And I kind of uh, put that narrative in there of like uh, these kids are smoking cigarettes behind the Seven Eleven, and then they hear this disembodied voice coming from uh like a drain pipe on the wall and then he looks into the pipe and he gets like sucked into this voyage between like heaven and hell uh, it's just like very very trippy very stream of conscious doesn't doesn't really make sense on paper but when you read it it's it's kind of fun
0: yeah absolutely yeah as i say it's experiential as much as anything else yeah, i think it definitely. is very much in in that moment you are taken mm-hmm. uh, on a journey So obviously we've got, I think, I'm in trouble as uh, your your sort of ongoing project, so to speak. But uh, any other plans for for print comics?
1: Yeah, uh, I am working on a comic. I'm actually working on two. Um, One, I kind of put on the back burner. I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. I'm about halfway through and I kind of hit a wall. The other one, I'm about a quarter of the way through and I, I think I'm ready to pitch it. Uh, I actually wrote the whole script out and I still have to do some finishing work on the on the actual pages I've done, but I'm really excited about it and I'm going to be sending some pictures out soon.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'll certainly be keeping an eye out and uh, I would encourage everyone else to do the same. Uh, for the moment, get over to the website and just, just dive in. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for joining us, George. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk again at some point in the future. Absolutely. Thanks so much to George for talking to us and thank you for listening. See you next month. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy.